Hey guys, welcome to the debrief. After our episode with Jim O'Shaughnessy, David, uh, some thoughts. What, what are your thoughts coming out of that episode? Yeah, I mean, like obviously everything that he said was totally on point, but also they, I have some bones to pick uh, because, like, are you going to start with your bones? Yeah, I'm going to start with the bones. Uh, okay, fair. Because in the intro, we pitched this con- this conversation as like, "Yo, there is timeless, tried and true crypto investing uh, that will always be relevant." Uh, and like, it, it doesn't matter. It's true for all markets and like hundred percent that, that's totally right. But also at the same time, there's the conversation of crypto is different. There is our properties that are new here that we haven't seen before. And there are like some things oh. that like, you know, the, the wisdom of our elders actually does not carry over. This is the alpha of the debriefs. It's our, uh, chance to talk smack about the guest that was just on. Is yeah. that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Points right. of disagreement. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I okay. mean, like Jim is awesome. Let's just say mm. that, right? He just hasn't spent as much time in crypto, right? And so wasn't as maybe informed on some of those subjects as we would optimally liked. But like all of his other timeless advice was fantastic mm-hmm. and timeless. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that aside, get to the bones you want to pick. Yeah, uh, I think the first thing I thought was actually really interesting was thinking about heterogeneous investors turn transforming into homogenous investors as just like um, paying attention to that signal, I think is the alpha as in just watching that happen and seeing where homogenous opinions manifest. Uh, And like, I don't know, like, I think what we're doing with like putting fundamentals behind ether and talking about ultrasound money and in these properties and how like Ethereum's got the, the main blockchain with the truest fundamentals. Like we're trying, we're, people who are convincing people of others are all trying to get people on the same page. And so like, yeah, we're trying to get people to be homogene, homogeneously have consensus about ether, the asset. And so I guess that's a homogenizing force. And then there's a di- completely opposite end of the spectrum, which is like uh, the frog nation homogeny, which is like if you, it, which is goes closer to like the whole religious side of things where if you mm-hmm. speak outward, uh, outwardly against the tribe and if you don't align with the tribe, then you get like burned at the stake. And that's a different kind of homogeny. That's what he was zoning in on. Yeah, that's the part that I think, yeah, maybe that's just like, yeah, the homogeny of just like everyone aligning on like the good fundamentals of ether versus everyone aligning on just like oh we're all gonna pump our frog nation bags together these are different kinds of homogeny what i've also like what i would also say is some subtlety in that you know homogeny conversation well let's just call it group think right group sure. think ter- yeah. investing group think kind of conversation is um like there can be local group think in various areas of markets and that can be different than like kind of global or regional groupthink. Mm-hmm. What I mean is this, the, the, the challenge I've always had in selling crypto assets, like ever, the ones that I'm fundamentally convicted on, like the ethers of the world, the Bitcoins of the world, maybe especially the ethers of the world, is like uh, we are still heterogeneous, non-groupthink right. compared to the general population, right. the general even investing population. Right. It's Crypto's still, still a contrarian bet. Yeah. It's still a massively contrarian bet on the, like for for the the market potential of this thing, right? right? And like even like DeFi is still a massively contrarian bet, even at right. this like stage in the game. And so the whole asset class itself is heterogeneous and contrarian. Right. And yet within that, you find like local and regional pockets of the existing investor pool where ideas get overplayed mm-hmm. a little bit, right? Like. You know, some people might argue at times like DAO infrastructure 
has been right. way overplayed. Right. Um, there was a time in 2018, like 2017, 2018, where like, remember plasma investments, like the right. loom chain, massively overplayed. Right. And so we see right. all of these, maybe right now we're, we're looking at crypto uh, private deals and we're like, oh my God, what are the valuations? Maybe, yeah. maybe that sector is overplayed. But as a category, as an asset category, I still contend that crypto is match massively heterogeneous, massively contrarian. When you look at it, it's only a two a two trillion dollar asset class, yeah. if that, and people don't even know, like they're not even betting on real fundamentals. And so right. even within that, the fundamentals investor finds themselves in sort of a contrarian type position, as you were saying. Right. And I would definitely say that if you look at the market cap of Ethereum, uh, it, it, it was like the consensus play to play alt layer ones, right? Like that was the new homogenous trade, maybe. Maybe that's not totally true because like they were all fractured into their own ecosystems. But I think if you look at the valuation of the Ethereum blockchain and compare it oh. to the valuation of Bitcoin. Oh, definitely. And, and like, and as a function of like, I think the Ethereum market cap is like 12 to 16% of all crypto market cap. Right. That means that in my mind, Ethereum is non-homogenous. That's a very heterogeneous thing. There's a lot of potential. I think so. Yeah. And I think we also have to start measuring the Ethereum like Ethereum's market cap as like the market cap of Ethereum and then like not only the DeFi applications on top of Ethereum, but also the layer twos, mm. which are part of the Ethereum economy market cap, right? Which is sure. you have ETH as an asset. And that being sort of a, I think that whole thing is underplayed. And I think you're totally right that the alt layer ones as a narrative traded as one. Mm -hmm. And they all traded as a function of what percentage of market cap should could we right. be of ETH? Like, so it's like ETH is this. And so if this blockchain is, you know, 10 times faster, right. five times greater TPS, right. you know, like 1% of the maturity, then what should it be valued right. at, right? And like, it's all derived as one from that. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally. Um, where like the flip side should be like, well, maybe actually you are appropriately valued and Ethereum should be actually 10 times <laughs> higher. <laughs> But that would right. be the uh, that would be the consensus Ethereum opinion. But I think the the I think the point here is to like illustrate that consensus and, or like homogeneous thought versus heterogeneous thought exists at all scales, mm, right? It's yes. a fractal, right? And right. so like depending totally. on what part of the fractal you're zooming in on, there's both. You could call it either way, or you, you could call it either way. And so like there the, there isn't any i th i um, so i'll i'll take the non consensus opinion with jim i'll disagree with him where saying like you can't just look at the crowd cuz he he actually contradicted himself he he's like be wary of uh homogeneous thought in the first half of the episode but then at the end he was like oh but also there's this thing called wisdom of the crowd and like wisdom of the crowd is like more correct than it is wrong. And it's like, all right, uh, well, which one are you talking about, Jim? Because those are competing two competing <laughs> a little, visions. A little bit of column A and column B. Exactly. Except like the way that that maintains truth is because like, well, you can look at the different scale of the fractal and see like, okay, in this in this opinion, there's consensus on this. And in this opinion, there is non-consensus on this or homo homogeneousness on this and homogeneity on that. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree with that. I think that's uh that's a good take. And um the other the other take, of course, we're you know not only talking about like where in the fractal you're zoomed in, but also there's is is time scale. It's always right. a factor that yes. people uh, don't often yeah. talk like should be talking about more of in investing, which is like, is it a uh, homogenous play on the one year, 
Like, right. what about the 10-year in the investor pool for that, right? right? It's like right. the dot-com bust did bust, but like Amazon, the internet worked out, right? And mm-hmm. if you had a, like a 10 or 20-year time horizon and you just bought an index of NASDAQ companies, I wonder what that even looks like, right? I mean, you're probably still doing okay even post.com bust. So there's always the time uh, range. But you said you had bones to pick. Yeah. What is your second bone to pick? Yeah, the other one was about dispassionate investing versus uh, passionate investing, where he's like, no, just don't be emotional about your bags. Don't don't be bag biased. Uh, and, you know, you give yourself permission to sell. And like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense uh, for, I think, a lot of people. Um, but there's something unique about crypto where I think there is a counter argument for that, where well, not a counter argument, but like, at least I would like to excuse myself uh, personally. <laughs> you don't want to live by that rule. I don't want to live by that rule. And because like, I, I, to me, Ethereum represents global human coordination. Uh, and so when I see Ether go up in price, I see certain values about the world being priced in and having like a market representation. Uh, and like, the, uh, this is definitely a time frame thing where like, you know, in the short term, Ether going from 200 to $2,000 doesn't mean that like all these values are being manifested into the world. It just means that <laughs> right. people are, are, are bullish something. But over the long term, like the higher Ether price there is, the more global human coordination that we have. And like, that's why my bags are all ETH, right? Because it fundamentally aligned, the asset aligns with what I personally believe. And so over time, v- Ethereum value is related to human values. And that is the bull case. What I've, I've always thought about, this is the bull case for crypto. We can make market assets. We can make, or we can have capitalism that actually aligns with the constituents of it, right? We have market assets that are valued by human values. Uh, and so human values could determine the assets of these things or the value of these things. Uh, and so when, when that's true, the price of these things starts to reflect humanity and like what our values are. And so when I see Ether go up in price, I get bullish on humanity because it's a tool for global human coordination. And it makes me not want to sell it because that's just emotionally a good thing. That's a good thing for the world. Can I say two things about that? Sure. Just a little bit like some devil's advocate. Sure. But I actually think he's right. If you want it to be like what you are saying is when you're buying Ether, when you're holding a crypto asset like ETH, you're not only making an investment decision, you're also making a, a values decision. It's yeah. like part of a political movement that yeah. you opt into, right? right? And there is a cost to that or a premium to that, right? Which I'm saying is it's not necessarily the most efficient way to invest and to maximize your sure. gain. And realistically, I think we've seen that. Uh, a lot of the the rotators of the world, mm-hmm. a lot of the like get in early on some alternative chain pump it as hard as you can and then exit and sell for something else. Like these investors made a lot of money. Yeah, and but more that's m- a time frame thing again. Yeah, but if you rotate in and out, like you buy, like you could, uh, here, here's the argument, uh, play all of the other alternative, less decentralized layer one games and then just cycle back into ETH, right? right? It's just, you're just playing narrative games. You're being an investor but you're not necessarily um, changing your your value set because you're going to end up with a decentralized crypto. So I do think he has a point where like um, the strategy that uh, you and I at some level have taken is not necessarily the best from a raw return on investment like uh, mm-hmm. 
it's not it's not the most optimal investing strategy that we could have. It's like a nice balance where it's like simple, aligns with value set, and also, um, you know, like generates a fantastic return over time. But is not you're not going to beat multi multi coin capital. You're right. not necessarily going to beat Olaf and the crew at poly polychain doing this. The one thing I'd say is like for me, and I think this is probably true of you, like. The values investing piece only actually comes into play for me or most comes into play for me at layer one. Like after that, I care a whole lot less, right? So like, you know, the difference between Aave and Compound to me is like, whatever, so what? But the difference between a layer one that upholds like bankless values and a layer one that doesn't, that's super centralized Right, that's a distinction I'd make. Can I can I tinker with that and separate yeah. um, instead of layer ones? Uh, talk about the protocol layer versus the app layer. So uh, the app layer, I totally agree, but also layer twos, which are also blockchains, can also have values baked into them in the same way that layer ones also can. Yeah, I agree with that too. Okay. And so, like the base layer, the closer the thing is to the base layer, right. the more values important important yeah. it becomes to me, and the more I'm personally willing to sacrifice, like the upside gains right. of going and chasing right. this narrative or that short-term narrative that I think won't uphold in the long run, but like you could get a good run out of it for a while. Right. Yeah. Like also timing is also really important though, right? Because like, okay, you, you and I are, are these people that are kind of like never sellers just because we have this awesome conviction about ether that we just can't really be shook from. Uh, and that conviction really just prevents us or, or like removes us from playing these narrative games. And if you want to, play the narrative game, you have to shorten your time horizon where you and I kind of have just like a lifetime long time horizon on ETH. Um, but there are shorter time horizons, like uh, some some like Kobe, I think, for example, took a uh, eight to like 18 month time horizon with the narrative play when he, he uh, realized that Ethereum wasn't gonna have enough block space for everyone. So he bought a bunch of alt layer ones. And that was like an eight to 18 month time horizon that played out beautifully for him. But also, like, there's also, like, the three-year time horizon. There's also the three-month time horizon. Uh, and then, is... like, how, how narrow do your, does your time horizon want to get to the point where you are literally cycling in and out of narratives on, like, a daily basis and you're just day trading and you've lost all, all you've exactly. lost the forest for, for the trees. There is all, no optimum point. No, it's all time horizons. Even Kobe's, like, he talks about, like, oh, I denominate my returns in ETH right. still, right? So right. even though you're playing right. those games, you're kind of denominating ETH. I will say for me, there is a world where I no longer denominate in ETH. And that world, I do think that ETH is going to hold up very well as a as a decentralized layer one. But let's say it doesn't. Let's say it gets corrupted or crowded out, or there's something else that captures like the sort of values that the original Ethereum did. Let's say it gets corrupted or captured right. for some reason. Well, then I'm not a a lifetime holder, right? I mean, it's like you know how you and I have always joked too. It's like when we're old old men, whatever, on a you know coffee shop, the next generation is going to be like. Forget your boomer ledger. Right. We want to start from scratch. Right. You turn guys made all the money. Let's turn right. the wheel again and crank it again. Right. Uh -huh. And like, I get that. There are like, there are some cycles. Anyway, there was another bone you wanted to pick. And I'm going to guess it's a percentage of uh, allocation. Is that the one? Uh, the, we can definitely talk about that one. <laughs> <laughs> he, I think he said 50%. Don't put more than 50% into a highly speculative asset. Into crypto. Did you see my face during the, that podcast? Yeah. You I like, was like, mm. whoa. Like, <laughs> whoopsies. <laughs> I, I bet. But like the, uh, the, 
not only is like a, this a once in a generation life opportunity, like going back to Josh Rosenthal's crypto renaissance, this is as equal an opportunity as large as the renaissance compressed into like 20 to 30 years. Yeah. So like not having exposure to that is ludicrous in my mind. Um, and like a lot more than 50% a, exposure. You're yeah. Saying. And so like when I, <laughs> I got into crypto. I like went down the rabbit hole, took the pill, and I was like, "I'm super bullish." I put 100% of my of all of my like net worth <laughs> into crypto, and then I was like, "I don't have enough exposure. Like, what else can I do?" Don't uh, lever up. I did like, not. No, 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 no. I started making a career in crypto. Yeah. So like now, that now was I have leverage. It's now I have a company that like is is uh, relates to the ether price and Bitcoin price. And yep. so like, okay, I, I scratched, I scratched the itch that way. It's like, okay, if, if crypto goes up, like my company also goes up and I have leverage that way. And then yeah. I kept, I get the, and then the other way I got leverage is like my social circle is all crypto people. And so like if crypto dies, dude, like I've got <laughs> nothing, I have nothing at all. My friends You're are poor, my company's broke, my assets are going to zero. Uh, but like also if crypto takes over the world, I have like crypto friends and I have this like awesome media company. And so like there's other ways to get leverage. But like, dude, like I it's, don't know, it's man. a beyond there's, 100% exposure to crypto. There's the contrary to what Jim was saying, which is like the way you generate wealth is concentrated bets, yeah. high conviction concentrated bets. <laughs> and I'm very much on that on that yes, train yes. and like even the like the crypto barbell strategy as mm -hmm. you know we've called it in the past which is like you are a majority like net worth in crypto assets that you strongly believe in mm -hmm. on one side of the barbell and then nothing in in between so why have stocks why have bonds right. like who right. cares right. and then the other side you've got some like padding Right. You got like six months of living expenses. Right. You got your house. You got, right. you know, maybe some stable coins that you're mm. keeping in cash right. just to be sure. That is my world. Yeah. And I don't, I did not hear a compelling reason to, uh, to right. switch in this episode. But also, look, your mileage may vary. You may be at a different point in your life, a different kind of conviction level. So all of these caveats aside, the one place I'll, I'll actually agree with him on is like, you shouldn't place more than 50% of your assets in a um in a speculative asset class but i'm like crypto is not a speculative asset class <laughs> it's not anymore yeah. like maybe at some right. like some assets within crypto are well, you, you, you want to go all in a on speculative asset class yeah that, that just sounds like a boomer talk for for you know don't don't be too risky son well i mean but like here, here's the other thing is, you know, someone's going to hear that and be like, I just got licensed from David and Ryan mm -hmm. to go YOLO into the next Shiba. And I'm going to wow. do that because I have That's a conviction. speculative asset right there. <laughs> <laughs> right? Don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Do that. <laughs> and um, so I, I don't know. It, I can't. It's very hard to like... Um, uh, it's just, it's the same thing as like it's a fractal, situation. right? Like yeah. it's another fractal. Like how what what is your definition of a speculative asset class? Yeah. Right. Like how risky how risky do you want to get? Uh, right. And so again, these are all the all these timeless lessons are tried and true throughout history, but it's really putting parameters around them around the specific context that you're inside of is the difficult part. Another way to flip this too is like what percentage of your assets do you have in like fiat things, like tradfi. What percentage of your portfolio do you have? Why do we not think of that as risky? Uh, right? If you had like, well, let me flip it on you. I've got 90% of my portfolio in like fiat assets, bonds, stocks, things tied to like the fiat economy. 
which we think is like going to take a right. hit in this right. crypto renaissance, a big hit. Right. Like you'd be like, diversify. Right. You should have more of your assets on the crypto side in this mm -hmm. kind of new parallel economy and less on the fiat side. And I think most, maybe this is a still a heterogeneous idea. Most, most investors uh, have a lot of their net worth on the fiat traditional side of things. And they probably should have much more right. on the crypto side of things. Right, right. Yeah, reframing what is risk, I think, uh, is, is the paradigm shift, right? Yeah, reframing um, what is risk. And volatility is not risk, is it? No, not in my world. Certainly not. And I uh. think, um, I, I don't think this is a particular bone to pick, but I think um, it's something that's harder to convince the older generations of and the people who are unfamiliar with crypto of is, and, uh, is L1 assets of smart contract platforms are... Huh? They have fundamentals. Uh, yes, not what I, not where I was going, but yes. Okay. Um, are are indices of the economies that exist on top of them, and so like Ether is an index of the Ethereum economy. Formally, formally, because of EIP one five five nine, the the power and the might and and heat that is outputted by the Ethereum economy gets turned into Ether, the asset. And this is something that is like non con like hard to get people's minds wrapped around from TradFi, right? Because they're like, all right, we want to buy an index. We want to diversify our portfolios. Like Ether is a diversified asset that is a relation, it has a relationship with every single micro economy that exists on top of Ethereum. And so it's like actually inversed in the world of crypto where Ether is an index of Ethereum. And Ethereum has so many assets and so much economy and so many like utilities on top of it that you can get exposure to everything that happens globally on Ethereum just by buying Ether, right? But I do think that's an example of um, you've done the homework to come to that realization. Yes. How many this is people a way crypto... that crypto is different from previous paradigms. Yeah, I don't think many people in crypto have actually done that homework. Right. Um, but but uh, jumping on the other thing that that uh, where I thought you were going is basically uh, Jim was saying, yeah, crypto doesn't really have fundamentals that you can right. measure. Oh, I totally disagree. It has right. so many fundamentals right. that we can look at. It has so many and fundamentals I, we don't even know how to like interpret them all. I do think that this is a a a lesson, maybe, is just in general, just because you don't understand the fundamentals of an asset class doesn't mean it doesn't have fundamentals. Right. And I think that's right. an important takeaway. Just hearing a seasoned investor look at this asset mm -hmm. class and be like, I don't think I don't see any fundamentals there. And I'm right. like, but you gotta look hard. You got to look very hard to do which your research. You did, like going to the library and like looking at the different equities and finding the patterns and fundamentals that were hidden from the rest of the market because they are present in crypto. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's just a symptom of like not being in the asset class and looking at it every day. Right. Did, did yes. we cover your bones? Those are all my bones. You got any bones? No, I think you hit them all. Cool. Uh, overall, I mean, it's just, it's cool to hear like, my favorite part were the tactics, just mm. running that through in his brain and through our brains, like some ideas he had, some ideas we had and how to, I, I do think um, investing is almost a, it's not necessarily a skill, it's more like a temperament that you have to develop. And so uh, how, do you, how do you develop the right temperament for investing and how do you like hack your brain and trick your brain so that you don't make all of the mistakes that everyone else does. Um, those those pieces of the podcast were super useful to me, and I, I need to. I mean, like, 
one thing I don't do that I, I, I would like to do, but I just haven't had the discipline is creating like a, a journal mm. of, you know, different assets I purchased, why I was bullish at the time and how that turned out and like tracking that over time, like in more quantitative style. I just, I've never done that. Have you ever done that? I started, I put like two ounces of energy into it. never really went anywhere. It's a lot of work, right? Yeah. And so it's also largely one of the reasons why like my crypto portfolio has just consolidated more and more to ether over time. Just because like to think about it. Things, things get crazier and crazier as ether just becomes more and more just reasonable at the same time. Uh, and so I don't have to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, th- yeah. I mean, there's so many, as a crypto investor, there's so many things you have to track when you, like you're tracking your taxes and you're tracking right. like, right. like uh, all of your trades and, all of, and adding another thing to that right. is uh, just feels like some overhead. Right. Yeah. I've never found time to do, but I, I remember like trying to think in those terms when I was first getting into crypto where like everyone who gets into crypto, like not everyone, but a lot of people get into crypto and start like trading, right? Like, yeah. Ooh, new token that I just find found that I'm bullish on. Yeah. Like I'm going to buy it. Uh, and now I'm going to watch the chart endlessly uh, and see what happens. Uh, and so like when I was in that phase, I was like trying to like track my em- emotions and prices and seeing how things went. And then, it, first, it was just draining. I don't. I. I, be, I mean, I'm sh- probably pretty confident that I lost money uh, overall doing all that stuff. But it was like important learning lessons, and it was important lesson of mindfulness to to get that lesson out of the way. Um, like everyone has like costs of their first cycle, and that was that's a very common one. It's like, oh, I'm actually shitty at trading, and this is actually hard. Uh, and now I'm just gonna stick to what I know. Uh, and that has like going through that transition phase is just a rite of passage for being in crypto. Um, do you ever put like buys and sells on the order book? That was another uh, one of his I tips. I put buys, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean like in advance. I'm yeah. talking about like right now, a no. buy for ETH, like no. that you put at X amount of dollars so that when it happens, no. you're... No, it's definitely a weakness of mine. Um, I would say just because like there have been times where I have had needed to get cash. And so I had to just take whatever price was given to me at the time. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, well... How about I- sells? Would you do it on the flip side? What so like... Mean? When ETH hits 10K, you're not going to be bearish ETH because it's going to hit it in a flurry. Yeah. I'm like, oh, dude, 10K, it's going to 20K, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what always happens. But yeah, the thing is, had... like, if I don't need the money in the moment, I'm probably not going to sell. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, I, I only sell when I need the money. Right. Well, there you go. Mm. Good episode. Some lessons learned, some things that uh, we probably should learn, but but won't implement like, I don't know how I could go an entire week without checking crypto prices, but um, I, I will say that he said the advice of going on a run, that's just like another way of articulation of being mindful. So i and I've always been a proponent of this is like meditation, mindfulness, meditation goes hand in hand with like crypto so well, and also all of your life as well. <laughs> so like, if you can learn how to be mindful, which is hard, um, it, 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 it's a huge edge in investing and trading and just also everything else that you do. And so when, when Jim says, go on a run, I say, just be mindful. It's the same thing. What do you mean by like, be mindful? How do you actually do that? 
Yeah, be be present and be mindful. Um, yeah, it's it's part of psychology. I t- actually took a, a mindfulness class, uh, psychology class, when I'm in my undergrad. And so, like, an exercise in this is like, then this is something I try to do every single morning, where I make my coffee, and I re- I love coffee. Like, and I'm one of those like guys who like who of the opinion as soon as you add milk or sugar to coffee, it doesn't it's not coffee anymore. It becomes <laughs> a beverage. And so, like in the morning, I drink my coffee, and I I try and taste every single thing about the coffee. Like, there's a, a concert of flavors and before I open up discord before I open up twitter before I look at my phone I make coffee I try to I make coffee and I taste it as just to be mindful and just be aware of the day and present in the day and like it lets me like tap into my emotions a little bit better it's like oh I'm, I'm angry right now or I'm frustrated right now or these are my these are my emotions why do I feel this way and being able to like tap into like the meta side of your own brain is like I'm I'm frustrated why am I frustrated rather than just like I'm frustrated. I'm going to lash out. Like these are two opposites. Right. And so getting into mindfulness and like just being self-aware of your cognitions, it's called metacognition. It's like being aware of why you thought the thought that you just had um, can just help. It's, it's just great life, life lessons. And it definitely helps when you have money on the table because it's very, very emotional when you have money on the table. That's awesome, man. What kind of coffee you drinking? Oh, uh, I mean, black coffee. Like, like are you asking like, about my beans? Are you getting some nice beans? Yeah, so I mean, it's got to be a good coffee. Those, uh, you're tasting notes. Yeah, it's a yeah. subscription model. So they they send it to me like within two weeks of it getting roasted. Fun fact: most coffee, most coffee beans on your grocery store shelves are rancid. Coffee has oil in it, and oil goes bad. And so if you are waiting more than like six weeks after your coffee's roasted, you're drinking rancid coffee, and it's gross. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, there's there's the alpha coffee. that you come Stay for the debriefs for. There you go. (laughs) Debrief in the alpha. Guys, thanks for (laughs) hanging with us. Appreciate you. Take care. Cheers.